0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Building Wise Families podcast. I'm Alan, joined by my beautiful wife, Corey. And today we have Peggy Osborne on the show with us. We're going to be talking about why it's important to identify our emotions, what to do with them, and practical ways to teach this to our kids. Peggy's been in the field of education for 25 years, serving in early childhood, kindergarten, second and fourth grades. She also served as an administrator with the Early Childhood Program in College Station, Texas, Independent School District, for about 10 years, and she's married to Dr. Chris Osborne, who pastored for 40 years and is now teaching at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. She has two children and five grandchildren, and she, her daughter, and her daughter-in-law founded You Are My Treasure, and they are consultants and speakers for women's events, parent workshops, and teacher trainings.
1: And Peggy has a special place in our hearts because her husband was our pastor for many years. And she was there for us when we were struggling as new parents with practical strategies and biblical wisdom. So, Peggy, we are so glad to have you here. This is just a fun kind of full circle moment to have you on the podcast and helping other people with your wisdom that you've helped us with. So, welcome.
2: Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Peggy, we hear a lot about needing to. Teach our kids how to talk about their feelings and emotional intelligence. I'm curious, is that just a recent cultural influence or does that actually have a biblical basis?
2: Well, I think it's really both. You know, back in the uh, mid 90s, uh, emotional intelligence really began to kind of come to the forefront in the educational setting. And there's a man named Daniel Goleman that wrote a book. It's called Emotional Intelligence, Why It Can Matter More Than IQ. And at that point in time, a lot of educators really began to take off with this book and realizing that this is not just about academics in the classroom. It's also about emotions and dealing with their emotional intelligence. And so I think that, you know, we started talking a lot about emotions back during that time, but because it was so new, we were stumbling through it. As teachers, we were recognizing that it was important, but we were definitely uneducated in it and we were stumbling. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in a great family, but we never talked about emotions and what to do with them. You know, I knew what I better not do. Great parents, great, you know, biblical Christian family, but I wasn't taught very much about what to do when these emotions came and would rise up inside of me. So I raised my own children without a whole lot of training in this area. I've already written them letters of apology. But my daughter, my daughter-in-law and I are all educators. And we put our heads together because we were all getting a lot of the same training out in the public setting. But we were all, as we talked about the training we were getting, we were all of a sudden realizing this links up. With scripture, all three of us are believers, we were thinking, wow, this is such great information. And I think the Bible has something to say about this. And so we began to dig in scripture. And sure enough, scripture had a lot to say about our emotions. And it's very sad to us that there's this great information out here in the secular world that brain science is discovering things very smart educational people are discovering great things about kids. But over in the Christian world, a lot of times this information was never being talked about over here. But when you could look at it through the lens of scripture, and as a believer, it was really impacting us. And we wanted to be able to get that information out to other people.
0: Why do you think that is, that brain science and educators are aware of this, but it's not always translating over to the spiritual culture?
2: I think sometimes as believers, we're afraid of public education. But I think if we really approach it from the point of view that God is going to give us a great filter. And we're going to be able to look at this and be able to say, this makes a a lot of sense, but now let me see if it lines up with scripture. And I think that's what's the important key. And I think sometimes we just resist it because it comes from the secular world. But instead of doing that, if we could just step back and think it through. It can really enlighten us when we're working with our own kids. I just think the important key is making sure that it lines up with scripture, especially with the brain science and the things that they're learning about the brain. It's fascinating because God made the brain. You know, we know that He's the one who's the developer. And when we look at it through that lens, it sort of changes everything.
1: Yeah. So, does this translate to the emotions? you know, that God made emotions. Is that part of why this is important to look at?
2: I think it's very important to look at and something that's kind of food for thought. You know, when we were first created back in the garden of Eden, God put us there. He he developed this garden and then he made the animals and he made the birds and the plants and all of that. And then he put his highest creation into the garden the perfect place for people to live. If you think about that in the garden, we had this perfect connection with God, perfect connection with each other, perfect connection with nature and perfectly wired on the inside. When sin came into the world, we lost all those connections. And of course, we know that God has sent Jesus to help us, you know, to reconnect us with the heavenly father. And he's given us his word to reconnect with each other you know, and, and even has given us his word to help us with that wiring, the phobias, the fears, the emotions. He's given us his word now to be able to live in this broken state. But, you know, think about this. God put us in this Garden of Eden, and he gave us complete safety, not just safety from nature, but psychological safety, emotional safety, safety with him, And he gave us perfect connection, you know, a relationship with Adam and Eve, that perfect connection with him. Then we lost that when sin came into the world. And now what was supposed to come naturally to us, we now have to think about it. You know, I've often wondered, there had to have been such joy. There had to have been such happiness, such peace, such calm in the garden, but then when sin came in, all of a sudden now we're dealing with our broken state. We're dealing with anxiety. We're dealing with fear, anger. And God, of course, would give us something in his word to help us deal with those things you know, in our broken state. I don't think he would just leave us without something. And I think if we go to his word and we begin to really look at his word, we can begin to see some of the processes that he's put into place to help us manage.
0: I love the hope of that, that we were created with perfect wiring inside, like you said, but then it got broken. But just because it's broken, it doesn't mean that we have to stay broken. And then through sanctification, God helps us become more holy and trusting him and restoring that relationship with him, restoring that relationship with other people. And then we can also grow in our our internal wiring, having control of our emotions and sanctifying those also.
2: Absolutely, And we can also live with the hope of knowing that at the very end of time, it's all going to be made perfect again. We, we're not going to be broken anymore on the inside. So that's that's a very positive thing, I think, to look forward to as well.
1: Yeah. Okay. So this is important. This is biblical. It's not just a recent cultural thing. So, you know, by default, I would think this is important for me to learn for myself, and then probably also to teach my kids about their emotions. So what emotions should I even be teaching them to identify? Do you have any help for us in that?
2: You know, it's really funny. If you were to go and Google emotions, you know, give me a list of emotions, you will come up with so many answers. Sometimes there's like 25 emotions that are listed. Sometimes it's four. You're going to see a vast array of opinions. Now for for me and for my daughter-in-law, my daughter, we were thinking in terms of the grandkids. What can we do practically to really help them? And so we have decided to stick with five emotions. And those are happy, sad, fear, anxiety, and anger. Because we feel like those are the ones that children seem to experience the most of. Now, we know they experience surprise, and we know they might experience disgust, pride. I mean, some of these other things that other people identify as emotions. But those five, happy, sad, fear, anxiety, and anger, I think if we can begin with the simple five like that, I think that can really be a good start and make a big difference. And as I'm thinking about that, back during the time that we were stumbling through this in the school system, I have vivid memories of all of us being given pictures of real children with this looks like angry, and this looks like sad, and this looks like happy. But that really is better for them in learning what other children look like. If another child looks like this, That means they're angry. And so it became very important to us to help children understand what anger feels like on the inside, what fear feels like, what anxiety feels like rather than just putting up a picture for us it meant that when a child they were in the middle of feeling angry if they were in the middle of being anxious about something it was going to be important then for us to say to them you seem really angry or you seem to be feeling sad you seem to be feeling anxious and it's a real hard thing to do. Because when you're in the middle of feeling this big feeling, it's hard to hear somebody else even say that. But it's an important thing for them to actually be in the middle of the moment of feeling something for them to be able to truly identify what that feeling is. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, I love that. We were just talking to a couple that we were doing some parent coaching with, and they had a younger child, maybe three, and we were talking about that idea of they may not have the understanding of what this feeling word means yet, but when you can come in right in the moment and go ahead and give it your best shot at labeling that feeling, oh, you're feeling sad right now then they're starting to learn this is sad.
2: Absolutely. Thinking about this whole idea of the posters and then also catching the child in the middle of the emotion. One of the things that we want to think about is that our goal is to help them recognize the emotion and then how to respond to it. I think this is incredibly important because I was an adult and I don't think I was very good at identifying my emotions. And I feel like I was sort of on remote control, that life would happen, emotions would come, I would react, life would go on, something would happen, I would have emotions that would rise up, and I would react. And I as an adult really wasn't very good at it. And probably because it wasn't talked about much with me growing up. And I think it's incredibly important for us as parents, as adults, to realize that this is not, this conversation today is not just about the children. It's also about us as adults. If you remember in Deuteronomy 6, it says, these commands that I give you today are to be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And that first little part there, sometimes we skip over that it's, it's got to be on our heart first. And this is something that God really had to teach me. All of this that we're talking about with teaching our children and becoming aware and learning how to respond instead of react, sometimes we as adults are not emotionally intelligent. Sometimes we don't even recognize what's going on in our hearts. So as you start down this path, be aware that God can do a work in you as well. That's what happened to me.
1: Wow, I love that you pointed out the beginning of that verse. I think that is so interesting and so true that we just kind of skip right over it and get to the part about teaching our children and we we even think, you know, oh, this is really good. I I need to teach my children beyond just a devotional time. This is, you know, as I go. And there's really good stuff to unpack in the other part of the verse, but God's word says This is supposed to be on our hearts first. And then out of that, it can overflow to our children. Absolutely. So you're saying as we go down the path of teaching our kids about this, because now we know it's important, we know it's biblical, we need to be aware that we're probably going to be learning a thing or two that we may not have learned growing up.
2: Absolutely. God may really be doing some convicting in your own lives.
1: I discovered that
2: I was a blamer. When things didn't go my way, if Chris didn't take the trash out in a timely manner and I tripped over it, my voice would get loud and I would raise it and be angry. He very quickly would say, well, you don't have to yell. And I would say, well, if you take the trash out, I wouldn't have to yell. Through this process, the Lord really showed me that it really doesn't matter if the trash gets taken out. I'm still responsible to have a godly response. So it has been quite the learning
1: experience for me as well.
0: Yeah, that's really good.
1: Yeah. So if that's just our typical response, you know, we have a a child who's having an angry outburst, but really it could be anything. They're anxious and it fuels our anxiety or they're sad. And then we're feeling kind of bad that they're sad. And we're kind of taking that on ourselves how do we teach our children about identifying their own emotions and then knowing what to do with them instead of saying
2: stop? Exactly. And I think it's real important for us to remember that we really cannot stop a behavior. You can't just ask a child to stop a behavior without giving them what to do or giving them that replacement behavior. Emotions are very, very strong, whether it's they're frustrated that it's the time has run out, you know, he was building something and you think about when you're working on something, you're diligently working on something, and then you have to put everything down and stop and go somewhere. That's frustrating, even for an adult. And now the child's play is their work. They're doing something, they're right in the middle of it. And we've come in and asked or told, you know, that tell them that it's time to put it away to come to lunch or to get in the car or whatever. I think sometimes it helps us if we can look at it from the child's perspective. And we need to ask ourselves the question, if you were living in a fantasy world and you could have anything you wanted, what would you want the child to do when you said, it's time to pick up your blocks and come to lunch? You probably want them to say, yes, ma'am, or okay, and begin to put the blocks up and then to come right on to lunch right? I mean, that's what we want them to do. So once you ask that question, and you have it in your mind, now you have something that you can teach them. Let me tell you a a quick little story that my daughter experienced with a little girl in her classroom. She had a little girl that came into her classroom, she was five. And when the world did not go her way, she threw herself on the floor and screamed at the top of her lungs so loudly that the class could not go on. My daughter had talked with administration, she had talked with the parent, and she had had multiple discussions with the child to no avail. Nothing was helpful. The classroom basically had to shut down for 45 minutes when this tantrum was going on. Finally, Lauren had gotten together a little packet and would just hand it out when these um, tantrums would start so the children would have something else to do while they waited it out. Well, one day she called and she and I were visiting a little bit about it. And I asked her, have you ever looked at her when she was on the floor screaming? And actually, this was something that both of us sort of came to at the same time. Have you ever looked at her on the floor while she was screaming and thought to yourself, what is she trying to tell me? What is she trying to say to me by laying on the floor and screaming like this? And basically, we came up with that she was screaming, saying, the world is not going my way. I am feeling anger and frustration and whatever else. All these emotions are rising up in me. And this is all I know to do. This is all I know. This is the only skill I have is is to do this. Well, Lauren decided, my daughter decided, that starting the very next day, that she was going to, as soon as Jasmine came in the door, this little girl, we'll call her Jasmine. As soon as she came in the door, Lauren was going to uh, say, Jasmine, today, if the world doesn't go your way, you may go over and sit in our soft, quiet space and take some breaths. You may go to your desk and take some deep breaths. Or you may say, may I go outside and get a drink of water? And that way Lauren was thinking, okay, that will get her outside the classroom and she can kind of have a, maybe it'll break the, you know, behavior. Every morning, Lauren began to uh, teach this. She began to take Jasmine aside and say, now remember, if something doesn't go your way today, this is what you can do. You can go to our quiet area. You can go to your desk and take some breaths, or you can go out into the hallway and get you a drink of water whatever of those three, you know, and she would walk her through it every morning. Now, do you see what's happening? Jasmine had this neural pathway that when the world doesn't go my way, I lay on the floor and scream. Now what Lauren is doing is she's laying a new neural pathway. She's saying, you can do this, this, or this. Well, the story, in summary, there was no change. Every day, October, November, and December, Lauren taught this every morning. The 45-minute tantrums continued. They, she went home for Christmas. She came back in January. Same thing started up again. Lauren was teaching. She was um, still having these tantrums. In February, something happened, and the world didn't go her way. And she walked up to Lauren and said, "Miss Osborne, could I get a drink of water? Well, the whole class celebrated. The class celebrated. She celebrated. We also, I mean, she called me. I was celebrating. Everybody celebrated. But I think that this story teaches a very valuable lesson that it takes time and it takes repetition and it takes teaching what to do. And I think we get very, we want to say it once and we want them to do it. You know, we've told you we've told you this one time and we want you to do it. But what we don't realize is some of these neural pathways that they've gotten kind of ingrained in them take time. We have to take time to lay the new ones. And just because Jasmine had some new choices, didn't mean that old neural pathway wasn't still there. When she got under immense stress, she might default to that, tantrum again. But most of the time between February and May, Lauren said there were less than five fits. So amazing progress, but she was taught what to do in a secular setting. This was in a secular setting. She was taught what to do and had the practice of
1: doing it. Wow. And so Lauren was kind of saying, what's it like to be this child? What is she going through? What is she communicating to me? She doesn't know another way. So what skills can I build in her over time with the long view in mind? And I think that even goes back to kind of a a foundation in entering it. She probably is thinking this is going to take some time. Absolutely. And,
2: And I think when you have your expectation set that any kind of training is going to take time, It helps because when we think I should be able to say it once and they should get it, then we set ourselves up for frustration when they don't. But if we know that this is a process, that children are developmentally not ready to completely take it all in yet, and we're laying on layer after layer of this teaching, I think it makes it easier for us to deal with it as parents.
1: That's even encouragement for me with some of my own reactions that I am trying to retrain and let God work on in me that he could just bring me immediate peacefulness, but he's with me in the process. It is part of the joy of walking with the Lord to let him bring about the transformation and that will involve patience and practice and even celebrating when I do it better so that I'm focusing more on when I did it well.
2: Absolutely.
0: I'm curious, what did Lauren do over those months when she would she would come in in the morning and say, here are your choices, when the fits or when the outburst kept happening, what did Lauren do during the outburst?
2: Well, Jasmine was a child that uh, did not hurt herself, and she did not hurt others in the middle of this tantrum, other than the fact that she prevented class from going forward. <clears throat> and so Lauren had no other choice but just to let her be. I mean, she just had to let her have this fit on the floor. Now, Lauren took deep breaths for her, many times sat down beside her. The, remember, there was a packet that had been given out. So the children are all working. These other 22 children, you know, in the classroom were working. Lauren, m- much of the time, would either just be at her desk, calmly working. Be maybe going about the classroom, um, helping children with their packets. But then would always come back and touch base to let Jasmine know I'm here, you're safe, I'm breathing. Jasmine couldn't take the breath, but Lauren could. So Lauren would just take a breath for her, and then she'd go back out, check again, and just they just calmly waited this out. Now sometimes if a child is a threat to themselves or others, you know, you might have to intervene and make sure that everybody's going to be safe. But in this case, and I think in the case of, of a lot of tantrums at home with our children at home, it's, it's just a tantrum and they're lying there on the floor and they're just having this major fit. Um, But they're not hurting themselves and they're not hurting property and they're not hurting others. And I think then you can just let it be, it's a whole process. You don't want to talk to a child when they're way down um, in their survival state like that. Uh, these emotions are way too strong. So, what you want to do is you want to be able to breathe with them and you want them to have these chemicals have time. Because, you know, anytime a big tantrum like this happens, emotions always have chemicals with them in our bodies. And you want some time for those chemicals to drain off, so to speak. Once they do, and the child has calmed down, they come back to that state then where we can teach. But when they're in this huge emotional state, they cannot hear you. So we want to wait until they're calmed
1: down before we can teach them. Yeah, so in the moment is not the teaching time, we can teach proactively outside the moment. But this is also not saying You know, if you just ignore it, they'll learn over time. Lauren was right there with Jasmine, modeling these deep breaths and taking them for her. I just think, wow, what a picture of the Holy Spirit who comes alongside of us, side by side, helping us through it. Not lecturing us in the moment, but giving us some opportunities to grow, showing us truth outside of the moment that we can hang on to.
2: Absolutely. And I think also you combine in the moment, this was maybe going on, you know, this, this um, breathing and being patient. I love your analogy of coming alongside, just like the Holy spirit comes alongside of us. I think that's so true. He, he just envelops us we know he indwells us, but he just envelops us as we're walking through these really tough moments. And in the same way we want to be that for the child, but On the other hand, you're right. It's not just ignoring it because Lauren was also teaching. These are the things you can do every day. She was going over it. And once this tantrum subsided, she didn't just go, phew, we can now get back to class. Instead, she came alongside her once again and said, Jasmine, let's go over it again, honey. When the world doesn't go your way like this, what are your choices? You can go to the quiet area and take a deep breath. You can go to your desk and take a deep breath. Or you can say, Miss Osborne, may I have a drink of water? Let's practice all three of those right now. So she was practicing this during the calm moments. And this is one thing that I always want to make sure parents hear is that once a child does regain composure and they are able to have a conversation with you again, that you don't want to miss that moment of teaching. You don't want to just move on because you're glad the fit's over. You want to take that opportunity to really teach. This is what we
1: do the next time, because that's when they can hear you. Okay. So are there other emotions that you would say, I'm going to help my child understand what this is and then what skills to use?
2: i I think teaching the children, and once again, it's going to be teaching you as well. I think it's with every emotion. Every single emotion has something to be learned. For example, um, a child needs to learn what to do. What are some things you can do when you are feeling sad? You know, that might be um, for some children, it's going to look different. For some children, it might be they need to just come talk to the parent about it. It might be that they have a journal that they would write in. Uh, it might be that they just needed to be off and be quiet by themselves for a little while or for a little one to have a stuffed toy, you know, they're with them, um, you know, for anxiety. It might just be that they need some more information. Let's just say a child is going to school for the very first time or Mother's Day out for the very first time. They may need information. Okay, today, I'm going to take you to Mother's Day out. I'm going to drop you off. This is what it's going to look like. I would even encourage taking pictures, photographs, and making like a little book to help a child. If you feel like your child is going to have anxiety before they go into a particular situation, prepare for it. Take some photographs, put it into a little book and read it to them before. And I mean, even young babies can do this. They can sit by you on the couch and you can say, Today I'm going to be going to work and Miss Lily is going to be coming to stay with you. And here's a picture of Miss Lily. And, you know, Miss Lily is going to give you something to eat and Miss Lily is going to play with you and Miss Lily is going to put you down for a nap. And at the end of the day, Mama's going to be back and we're going to have a fun time together. So you're preparing them. See, anxiety sometimes needs information like that. And so anything that we can do to help them prepare is going to help reduce the anxiety. And when you're feeling this way, what can you do? You can take a deep breath. You can say a prayer. And we'll talk a little bit about that process in a minute. But, you know, I, I think with every single emotion, whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety, whether it's sadness, and you know, sometimes children even need to know what to do with happiness because I was just about to ask that. Yes. They're so excited that they're berserko. They're running around the house, you know, craziness, and they need to know it's great to be happy, but this is, these are appropriate ways to express happiness and our joy. So, you know, I mean, even with happiness, I think sometimes They're constantly in this learning mode of this is appropriate, this is not appropriate, or this is appropriate in this situation, but maybe not in this situation. Like you can do this at home, but you probably are not going to do this in Sunday school or in the middle of the church service. So they begin to learn how to express these emotions in different settings as well.
1: Yeah. So, okay, we've got some good information about these five basic emotions to start with, what they might signal, what we might be able to help equip our children to do outside the moment, how to stay kind of emotionally safe through that, knowing it's a process, even doing it alongside with our kids, because we probably have some things to learn too. But I'm just thinking about the rock cards that we've used before. So, can you elaborate on what those are and how those fit into a practical way that parents can learn about identifying emotions, what to do with them, how to teach their kids about that?
2: Well, like I said, as Lauren and Courtney and I were talking, we began to analyze how we were responding and we began to ask ourselves the question what are we teaching in this moment? And sometimes we would see children who were really, really upset we would see a parent digging in their diaper bag and then handing a cracker to the child, you know, to and then the child would settle down. Or the child was very upset and, and, you know, crying uncontrollably, and all of a sudden a new toy would come out and would be given to the child. And as Lauren and Courtney and I began to sort of debrief on that and talk through it, we also had some training in our past that, began to come back into our minds. And we thought, you know, what is this really teaching? Basically, it's teaching if you're upset and if you're crying, you need to eat. Here's a cracker. If you are crying and upset, you need to maybe go shopping because here's this new item. And if you think about this spiritually, I know that seems really silly to think, okay, I'm giving my baby a cracker. Is that really teaching that? But the problem is, is that sometimes we do this over a period of time, for a long time. You know, we're still saying, if you'll just behave this way, I'll take you to go get McDonald's or I'll get you a pizza. And so we came to the realization of saying, okay, what then do we want to teach them? And the consensus, of course, was when anger comes, when fear comes, when anxiety comes, we want these children to learn to run to Jesus. That's the ultimate goal is we want them to learn to run to Jesus. So if we do want them to do that, then how can we start that process from the time that they're very young, we don't want these other things, you know, in there, we want to begin to teach the process from the time they're very young. So we diligently began to look for something, we were looking for something online, we googled all kinds of things and we couldn't find what we wanted and so you know necessity is the mother of invention and we came up with our rock cards and the rock cards actually teach you what to do with your emotions and the reason we call them rock is it's an acronym for resting on Christ the king in the rock cards packet There is also an instruction card that shows the parent or the teacher exactly how to use the cards. But of course, you're going to come up with ways that we didn't even think of. But we put down just some suggestions on what we saw in our own families and how it had helped us. For example, the I'm feeling angry cards, Um, there's three or four of them, but probably the key verse that we used Was from James 1 19 and 20. And it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, when we read that verse, all three of us thought, there's the recipe, there's the list. We don't have to go any further than this. God says that we're to be quick to hear, we're to be slow to speak, and we're to be slow to anger. Now, the question was for us, what does being slow to anger look like? Well, from the things that we had learned, we knew that three deep belly breaths help to disengage the stress response. So we knew that breathing had to be a part of the process. And then God gives us the being um, quick to hear and the slow to speak. And then we added in the idea of prayer. So at the top of this card, on the front of the card, we just have um, a face of a child who looks angry, and it says, I'm feeling angry. On the back of the card, the verse is there, and the words quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger are in red, where the rest of the verse is in black. So we've highlighted those phrases. We've taken those phrases and because children learn best through images and through visuals at the top of the card, we have little icons and words, and it says this, breathe, listen, quiet and pray. So now when we sit down with a child, not when they're angry at some other time during the day, we're sitting down, maybe it's a time that we normally read several books. Well, instead of one of the books, we pull out a rock card. And we read the verse to them and we say, look at this, you know, the Bible says that when we're feeling angry, we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. And we'll even go through the motions with them. Let's take a breath. (sighs) Let's listen. And we put our hand up to our ear. Let's be quiet. And we put our finger over our mouth. And then we bow our heads and say, and let's pray. And this is not praying for the other person to do what we want them to do. This is praying for ourselves. God, help me to be calm. Help me to be able to talk about this with my brother, my sister, my friend. And so this process is on all of our anger cards, the breathe, the listen, the quiet and the pray. And we felt like they needed one simple little process because anger is such a volatile emotion that they didn't need to have a whole lot to have to think about. And we were asked the question, okay, this is great. And I can see this happening with elementary age children, but what about with babies? Well, we had babies at the time. And so we just consolidated and for little bitty ones, I mean, really young children who still didn't even have vocabulary. They learned to breathe, take a deep breath, and to, and with our prayer, it was them saying Jesus. So when one of the grandbabies was young, he would do this: he would go and breathe, and then he would say Jesus. And so the other part, you know, was left out. The listening and the quiet was left out. And then as he grew. He learned the other pieces, so it started very simply. And I will tell you, with my most passionate grandson, he was passionate about life and he loved it. But he was also very passionate about his opinion and his emotions. And it was about the age of three. My daughter had been doing this with him and practicing and looking at this little card for you know months and years. But somewhere in the age of three, when that anger and or that upset rose up in him she got behind him and she took a deep breath and he was able to catch his breath and she saw for the first time this is coming together she had been teaching everything on one side by by itself the tantrums and the upset were happening way over on another side by itself but as she taught the two began to come together And now he's a 10-year-old. And it's amazing to see the way he is able to manage that strong emotion that still comes up in him. We can't keep the emotions from coming, but we can teach our children how to make a godly
1: response. I love that and that you brought prayer into it, that this is about going to the rock with our big feelings. And I think as parents, that requires a little bit of... Let me step out of my goal of just getting this behavior to stop and maybe broaden my focus a little bit to think, how can I mentor them with wisdom? How can I build wisdom in them that they are choosing to go to Jesus when they've got these big feelings, whatever the feeling may be, even happiness. Let's go to Jesus and celebrate.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we also discovered that through this, children need props. They have props for learning the alphabet. They have props for learning their numbers, you know, the little magnetic numbers. They have sand that they make their letters in. We have props for everything because we know that children need visuals. We know that they learn best when they've got visuals. And so in continuing to discuss this, we thought, what about not just having a quiet area or some sort of little quiet spot in the house? Why not have a prayer spot in our homes? Lauren, my daughter, developed hers in the middle of the living room. It worked for her. My daughter-in-law had a separate one, one for her little boy and one for her little girl that were twins in their own bedrooms. And so, um, you know, you have to kind of figure out what will work for you. But in the quiet area or this little prayer spot, we had a chair we had a kneeler, we had a little basket with a journal in it, we had the rock cards in it, we had a little Bible in there, and it was a visual area, and we called it the rock. Do you need to go to the rock and have some time to calm down and pray? Now, let me say very, very clearly, this is not a timeout. If you ever use your prayer area as a timeout, they'll never want to pray. They're never going to want to go there. And so you want to clearly define this. This is a prayer area. And maybe even during the day, sometimes when you find out a friend is sick, you go to the prayer area, you go to the rock and you pray. Um, This might be after your devotional in the evening that the family gathers over in the rock to pray. Um, But this also can be used in times of upset. And now, Let me say, if you've got a child that's zero, one, two, really, really young, they're going to have to come to you. They're going to have to be on your lap. They're going to have to be on your chest. And you're going to be doing that breathing. And of course, you're going to be doing all the talking. You're going to say, just take a deep breath with me. And maybe you'll even say a little prayer right there. It's all going to be done right here when they're really young, but as they age and they get on up three, four, and five, it can even be that you walk with them to the rock area and you sit down there and the calming takes place there. Now, we know we can't do that all the time. You're out at the grocery store, you're at the mall, but at home, it can be a great prop of teaching the children that when I feel this way, when I'm feeling sad, when I'm feeling anxious, when I'm feeling angry, I can run to the rock because that's what we want them to do as they age. Man,
0: I keep thinking about what we said earlier, what, what messages are we communicating to our kids or what messages are our kids receiving? Like, There's no shame attached to it. It's a great thing to, to go to the rock. So like you talked about, it's not a timeout place. And then I, you know, I'm thinking how powerful it would be for us to go to the rock and our children watch us. That's an easy, visible way to model praying. We don't always think about praying out loud when we just say a quick prayer in our head, but we're modeling them praying, going to the rock when we're having to deal with emotions. And even thinking back to Jasmine, how she probably wouldn't have been able to learn if she felt shamed or like Lauren was against her. But through all of this, I'm hearing this message of, I'm for you. I'm with you. This is normal. There's no shame in this, but we're growing together.
2: Absolutely, And please hear me there are certainly times that consequences still have to happen. We know that it doesn't, this, this does not take away, you know, the idea that there sometimes are going to be consequences for certain behaviors, but it's adding a piece in of saying you're going to the rock because he's the one who can help us solve this problem. And we can work through this together and we can, pray through these emotions, we can learn what to do the next time. All of those things, we're including Jesus as our rock, just changes the focus of you've done this, now there's going to be this huge consequence. Instead, it's, hey, these emotions are going to come, they're, they're just going to come for the rest of your life. I mean, we. I know you all could say the same things. I still feel anger. I still feel anxiety. I still feel fear all of those things are still there what we're doing is just teaching the child what to do when these emotions come we're giving them the steps of what to do and the other thing i think that's incredibly important is if we can begin to look at this whole situation you know as parents if we can look at this situation of they're not out to get me they're not on the floor having this tantrum to make me miserable or to um you know upset my entire day they just don't have the skills and God has given them to me so that I can teach them these skills and they know what to do out there and it's a gift it's a gift i was not given that gift and i had to learn it as an adult and i'm so uh, passionate about us beginning this with young children now so that they don't have to face some of the things that maybe some of us have had to face as adults.
1: Yeah, so related to that, what about parents who haven't been taught what to do with their own emotions?
2: Well, you're talking to one. My mother is in heaven right now, but she would if she were here, she would probably laugh hearing me say this. But I I don't think I was a really hard child to raise. Now she would probably laugh at that. But the reason I say that is when I was Would get really angry as a child. I was the door slammer. I ran to my room and I slammed that door so hard that the hinges probably were going to come off. You know, I bet I loosened them. But I would stay in there until I calmed down and then I would come out and I would obey. I didn't give my parents, you know, I knew they weren't going to change their mind. And so I would obey. But this was a repeated behavior for me. I'd get angry. I'd go and slam my door. I'd get angry. I'd go and slam my door. Well, at age 19, when I married Chris, guess what I was still doing? I was still going to a bedroom and slamming the door, hoping that he would come back there and, you know, feel sorry for me. And, well, you know, he didn't do that. He left and went to the golf course, you know, get away from this crazy woman. And so I am that person. I am that person who was not taught this and I came into the marriage with the only skills I ever had developed. And that was slamming the door, letting my chemicals drain off and then coming out and somehow trying to cope, you know, with whatever this was that I was upset about. So my advice is, and this is why I said at the very beginning, begin to look at what God's word says, begin to really, As you dig into this, it's going to be amazing to you. For example, I was really praying, you know, one day and I was trying to put together a workshop with some steps in it to help teachers know what to do when these things happen. And it wouldn't come and it wouldn't come and it wouldn't come. And I finally went to my knees and I said, Jesus, I just need some help here. I'm not able to figure this out. And it was one of those times that, you know, it wasn't audible, but you had this heavy sense of his presence. And he said to me, if you would let me help you with this, remember that Deuteronomy verse, if you would help, let me help you with this, then you'll have something to teach others. And, you know, I just fell to my knees and I said, Lord, I want you to help me with this. I want to be that person, I want to have a godly response, even when things aren't going with my way, or if somebody says something that triggers me, um, I don't want to blame anybody, I want to have a godly response, and I want to learn how to do this, and I'll just be honest with you, as an adult, it took me six months, probably before I saw a breakthrough, and this was it being with it being consistently on my mind, crying out to the Lord, asking him to change me and to teach me. And uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I ended up having to have a prop. I ended up with a little bracelet with a cross on it. And when I would get triggered, I would grab that cross, you know, and of course, it's nothing magic about the cross. It was just a reminder, but it was it was me having a prop to say, I'm going to leave this situation until I can get back into my bedroom. I can take a deep breath and I can calm myself down and come back and respond in a godly way. And, you know, what's really funny when you're thinking about all of this is no one ever saw this. They don't see it. You know, public people don't see this kind of thing. It's people in your, that are your closest to it's your family. They're going to be the ones that see your meltdowns. They see the the worst part of us. And I just told the Lord, I want to be different for my family. They're the ones I love the most. And I want to be different. And God just began to take me down a path of helping me to see that he wanted to rewire me. I began to think about that verse about the renewing of your mind because I felt like God really was renewing my mind in the areas. It's that it's what you said, Alan, it's the whole sanctification process. And he was really rooting that out of me. So I would say, talk about it with somebody. I would say, um, you know, pray about it, get on your knees and just say, Lord, I don't want to be this way anymore. And you'll be very surprised at the path that he may take you down.
0: That's great. And again, about the messages, and even for adults, we can beat ourselves up. Yes. We can be that, that inner critic that says, oh, I did it again. Why do I do that all the time? Or we can basically communicate the same message to ourselves that that God is communicating to us, that we want to communicate to our kids that, hey, there's no shame. Jesus took all of our shame. We're not perfect, but God's growing us. And I'm gonna try again next time. I'm gonna have another opportunity to practice. And I just imagine that's that's gotta accelerate our growth versus just constantly beating ourselves down.
2: And I think just being aware of what this what your problem is, it's your first step. And that day as I was praying, I was made very aware. I even remember saying, but God, this is just the way I am. And him saying to me, yes, I know this is just the way you are. But if you will come to me, I can change that. And I really do believe that it just takes a real willingness on our part. See, we as parents and as teachers, we just want to fix these kids. You know, we want to fix them because then it won't bug us. You know, we won't be bugged by them and irritated by their anger and their fits. But we don't stop and think some of the same things that I'm wanting to teach my children. You know, what do I do when the world doesn't go my way? What do I do when, you know, I've planned for something and and it all the bottom falls out, you know, and when I look at that and say, I don't respond very well either. Then all of a sudden we begin to realize God wants to work on me as well.
0: And that's, it's just encouraging to hear that. Okay. So, as we are growing as parents in our own emotions, identifying our emotions and handling our emotions, and then we're teaching our kids, there's a pressure from the culture that what you feel is the truth. And so, I'm curious as believers, how do we differentiate between the biblical perspective on emotions as God created them and the cultural perspective of, well, whatever you feel is true?
2: I think it's incredibly important for us to talk about this because I think this is where it it really comes down to that we had better be students of the word, you know, that we have emotions and then we can have feelings, you know, and and those are really two different things. Um, You know, we might have the emotion of anger, but how that makes me feel is it's, I've got a tummy, you know, something going on in my tummy, I've got a headache or, you know, whatever because of that. And so... Feelings can't be trusted. You know, we may even get up one day and we're not feeling very well. And so everything, we're kind of a Debbie Downer, you know, all day long because we don't feel well physically. So feelings really can't be trusted. And so I think this is where it comes back to us as parents really knowing what God's word says. Uh, We might feel like we're in love with somebody, but that's not a believer. But scripture tells us we're not to be yoked with an unbeliever. Proverbs 2017, it says, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward, his mouth will be full of gravel. I mean, that is a great proverb showing that it might be, you know, our feelings might say, this is really sweet, but if we're going down a path that's not where God wants us, Pretty soon, it's not going to be sweet. We're going to have a mouthful of gravel. And over and over again in scripture, it teaches us that sometimes our feelings might lead us one way. Think about the prodigal son and think about where his feelings took him, where he ended up in a pigsty, wanting to go back and work for his master because they had it better there than where he was. So I think that the bottom line answer to this is, is we better know what scripture says, because our emotions are there, they're going to be coming, we're going to be teaching our kids how to manage those emotions, what to do, how to be there for each other. Um, But our feelings, they can come and go. And we better not be relying on our feelings as our truth. We always want to go back to God's word as being the truth and basing everything that we believe on that.
0: Yeah. Whatever we're teaching our children, whatever we're believing, we just got to go back to the word because that's our ultimate source of truth. No matter what we're feeling, no matter what emotions we're having, we got to go back to the word. Peggy, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so fun to talk about this. And I know I've learned a lot. Corey's nodding. So she probably has too. So we're going to link to your website, uh, www.youaremytreasure.com. We'll link there and put it in the show notes. That's a great place to go for resources like the rock cards. They've got lots of other resources on there also that can help us teach our kids biblical truths. And
1: Yeah, there's some great ones that we've used before with sibling conflict, new beginnings. It really starts with this idea of calming down first before engaging with the problem. There's the fruit of the spirit cards. Um, you know, kind of training character. So yeah, there's lots of good resources on their website for sure.
0: Yep, and then they've got a Facebook group called Treasured, and then in parentheses it says You Are My Treasure. So you can go there and interact with people there that are that are in the same place we are, learning how to teach this to our children and, and learning this in ourselves. So just encourage you to go to those places, connect with them.
1: Yeah. So Peggy, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, and we have some other topics in the future that we might just be asking you about but this was great for today to talk about emotions what to do with them super centered on god's word love that thank you so much for joining us today
2: you are so welcome i fully enjoyed it